Welcome to the New Books Network. I outgutted him, I outlasted him, I outfigured him, I outfilmed him, I out uh, uh, somehow outperformed him even. And you, and this, and I, I give yeah. you an example, and, and I mean it shows the amount of, of egomania in the man. We distributed in our camp in the jungle uh, breakfast on days where there was no shooting and uh, uh, each hut would have coffee and the camera people and then the light people and the sound people and in a row, in in a certain sequence of things. And, uh, of course, the last hut would only have the lukewarm coffee. So we changed order. On that very day, Kinski was the last in line. His coffee was lukewarm. And I heard him screaming from 300 feet away out of his mind because his coffee was lukewarm. But the situation was this. We had a plane crash. And we had a radio, a shortwave radio, which was only garbled messages. We knew something cataclysmic had happened. We knew that we only knew the plane was down, six people in it. We tried to figure out where was it, can we send out a rescue party. Kinski arrives screaming, already foam at his mouth, and steps that close in my face and yells at me for an hour and a half. And I try to persuade him, I try to say, Klaus, we have a plane down. Six people may be dead. We have to organize a search party. And he would yell about his lukewarm coffee. He would yell about this. And I outperformed him. You know what? I went to my hut because I had one last piece of Toblerone, this triangular Swiss chocolate, which was of the highest value in the jungle. I mean, I had kept it for weeks and weeks, hid it away, uh, wrapped it away against the ants and so on, and I had this. And I came back with this piece of chocolate and I peeled off the the foil of it and ate it right a step that close into his face and ate the piece of chocolate. And that was too much for him. He just fell silent. And he wiped his froth away. It, it, you see, the, the froth at his mouth would harden. It was very hard sort of froth. After an hour, it, it solidifies somehow. And wiped it off, and then he, he left. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. The premise of the show is that one guy nominates a movie to the other guy. They both watch it separately, but they don't discuss it till they're on the podcast. Today, Mike, what movie are we doing today? My Best Fiend. My Best Fiend, not friend, but Fiend by Werner Herzog, 1999. We've done three of his films already on the podcast. We've done Fitzcarraldo, we've done Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and we've done Nosferatu. We love those movies. We love everything about them. You can go back and listen to those episodes. I'd wanted to see this for a long time. I finally watched it. First thing I did was text Mike and say, you have to watch this movie. I have no idea what he's about to say about it. In part one, we talk about our overall take on the film. Mike, go. Here's the most impressive thing about this movie. Let's flash back real quick to another Werner Herzog movie that I love, which is Grizzly Man. And in the middle of Grizzly Man, there's a problem, which is that Werner Herzog has the footage of the guy being killed by the grizzly bear. That's not a spoiler. But he can't show it because if you show it, it would ruin the movie. But if you have it and you do nothing with it, 
then you've wasted something. God has given you a gift and you've just buried it. So instead, what he does is he has the camera film himself watching the footage and listening to it while the guy's surviving girlfriend watches him watching it. And he goes like, Tlacy, you must never watch this footage. You must never watch this footage. And I remember even as a kid being so impressed by how he got around technical problems, which brought you further into his own consciousness because he he's just a brilliant filmmaker with an intuitive sense for exactly the right thing at the right time. And I say that because this movie is full of that kind of technique. In the opening scene, he walks around the apartment, the, the pension where he used to live, which is just a bunch of rented rooms that all share a bathroom. And now a rich couple lives there and they've renovated it into a huge apartment. And he's walking around sort of with his hands out, like feeling as though by the force where everything used to be 40 years ago with with unbelievably funny commentary. And the joke is, of course, that he used to live there with Klaus Kinski, who was in his teens and already becoming an actor and acting crazy when Werner Herzog was a boy. Destroying the bathroom. Destroying the bathroom, you know, and and saying all kinds of crazy things about the, the people who lived who lived here. But the point is that when it comes to Klaus Kinski, he finally said, you know, that he he wanted to be seen as intuitive. But the intuition came from all this practice and we could hear him in his room. And one beautiful thing he said was that he mastered the intonation of actors in the 50s in Berlin, which he said was this nasal, weird thing. And he's talking to this art, artsy couple that that own it. Perhaps they go to the theater or whatever. Maybe they're in on the joke. He knows, however, that the audience watching the documentary is not in on the joke. They don't understand what he means. So he starts to break the film sound away from the film. He's still watching and talking to the couple and gesticulating with his hands, and he's still in the past. But what we're hearing is very similar recordings or recordings of early Klaus Kinski doing recitation of German poetry or stage play from the 50s, which bridges us into the next section. And, and that's how he uses filmic techniques, the stuff that only film can do to get you into his brain. And I just think that that's brilliant. Yeah, that stage thing he's showing, that's his one-man show where he would be Jesus. And that's where people are trying to get him off the stage. And he says, you know, take the moat out of thine own eye for mine. And so I think what's great about that is that when they cut from the apartment to him on the train, remember he's on a train and you see you hear Kinski talking, that's Kinski playing Jesus saying what he's going to do to all the slanderers. They're going to go into this terrible vile soup. And he says, in this juice shall the slanderers stew. And that brings up the issue like, well, is Werner Herzog committing slander? Like, how are you presenting this guy? And that's what's really interesting about it because Kinski's dead. I think he died in 90 or 91. This movie comes out in 99. And so you have to credit him because in the beginning, I thought the movie was going to be like Citizen Kane. We're going to get all these different glimpses of this guy and we're going to try to figure out who this guy was. But it's not really like Citizen Kane because you pretty much learn who the guy was over and over and over immediately it's, yeah it's the same image it's not like charles foster kane well was he was he is he to be pitied or despised well here it's kind of even with the butterfly which i'm sure we'll talk about at the end 
How did I not know that his soul wanted to ascend into the heavens like a butterfly? Well, I think Klaus Kinsey is a, is a one-trick pony, and I think the movie substantiates every kind of bad thing you've ever heard about him. Kinsky doesn't become likable. He doesn't become uh, approachable. He doesn't become understandable. He's entertaining to watch him rave at the guy in Fitzcarraldo about the food. Like, that's that's our entertainment but I think that what's interesting about the movie is there's no dark side to Klaus Kinski. Like he's all dark side with a few little, you know, occasions of light. And those lights are either in the films when we watch him, that whole scene from Wozak is great where he thinks, where he finds it that Marie has been, has been sleeping with the, with the major. Um, but he's very much like, isn't he like Aguirre and Fitzcarraldo and Nosferatu? Yeah. And I, that, so that brings up an interesting question, which is, how much is Werner Herzog to be believed? And I think that he in, I think that he invites that question. He tries mm -hmm. to substantiate with as much evidence as he can. But the, I think the viewer is invited to the following question, which is if Klaus Kinski made a documentary about working with Werner Herzog, what would Werner Herzog look like? And the, there's that scene where uh, Werner Herzog, for whatever reason, is filmed standing alone. Uh, on the hillside with the trees behind him holding a book. Holding the book, holding Kinski's autobiography. His autobiography, a lot of which has been invented. Yeah. And then he goes into the he goes into how it was invented. And he's saying, I was actually there when some of it was invented because we were making up funny words for him to put in, just like what happens to the slanderers. And so I don't have a I don't have an opinion on this, but I want to ask yours, which is how much of this is to be believed and how much of how much of this is Kinski complicit in trying to create that image so that he could be that image and how much is it how much do you buy Werner Herzog how do you take him as at his word um yes and no and I know that's a terrible answer but I think that Kinski is I think it's the autobiography scene is great right because he says I helped because he remember what he says he says Klaus Kinski said, if I put in here that we got along well, then no one will buy the book. And people loved it. Like no one read, wants to read a biography of somebody who pretty much like went to work every day and came home and their life was good. You don't want to read a biography of the little boy who ate all his vegetables and everything went well for him. You want to read the biography of Lord Byron or something. Typically you like his art though. Yes. Oh, that's absolutely. Why more, that's why more people read Madame Bovary than care about Flaubert. Right, exactly. Right. So, but in terms of do I buy Herzog, I think that the movie – it's interesting because it makes you think about, well, how, if you had to portray somebody in an hour and a half or two hours, what would you choose? So someone tells me to make the Mike movie. So I have, I have, I have full access to very, the whole Very, very similar. Yeah. And <laughs> exactly. My best fiend. So I have to make the Mike movie, right? Like, well, how could you fit it on two hours? Like you couldn't. So I think that the movie invites you to kind of like play with that because remember, the first scene of the movie is Kinski pretending to be Jesus. Like, that's no accident. That's who this guy was. He was an egomaniac. He wants Herzog to reshoot the beginning of Aguirre, which is unbelievable. That scene is unbelievable. The first time you see them all walking down the mountain, he says, I want a close-up. Now, we know a close-up would be wrong. It, 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 the whole point is that nature dwarfs these, these conquistadors out there. But when you see the clip of Jason Robards and Mick Jagger doing Fitzcarraldo. And then you see the clip of Klaus Kinski and you're like, yeah, okay. The Kinski one is a mile away. It's not even the same movie. And that's why Herzog had to put up with him. So in terms of like, is Werner Herzog in on the act? Like, yeah, I think I think he is in on the act. And, but we'll never know that you can't get to the bottom of it.
I think he put up with Kinski because of what we see with Kinski versus Jason Robards. Well, I also think that they admittedly had a deep interdependence. Yeah. I don't think anybody could have gotten those kinds of performances, right? What what Werner Herzog is actually complimenting on uh, himself on is he's saying during certain scenes, I captured the lightning in a bottle. Yeah. It's a, but it's it's not my lightning, but it's also not his bottle. It's my it's bottle lightning in a bottle. Right. I'm the director and I supplied the bottle and I captured the lightning. He says in the beginning, we were two critical masses that resulted in a dangerous mixture where they come into contact. And I thought to myself, well, what other directors and actors are like that? And the first one I thought of was I thought of like Robert De Niro and, and Martin Scorsese. Right. But like from everything I've read about them, they didn't have that kind of relationship at all. Like. De Niro read Jake LaMotta's book and he gave it to Scorsese in the hospital and said, hey, I think I think this could be a really good movie. Why don't, why don't you make this a movie? And, and maybe that, you know, but here it's volatility is what makes it entertaining. Welcome back. So in part two, of course, we talk about key scenes or scenes that are indicative of the themes of the film as a whole. Dan, what do you got? My moment is when Herzog is talking about what Kinski meant to him as an actor. And we see, we says that at 15, he saw him in this film called Children, Mothers, and a General. And he shows how he wakes up each time and looks at his watch. And you, you get it three times in a row. And I, I love that because he says it's funny. Herzog says, it's interesting how time can magnify a moment like that. And I love it because it's not a clip where it's like, it's not um, once more into the breach, dear friends, once more. It's not some big, quote unquote, dramatic moment. He just was so taken by the way that this guy woke up at a, sleeping at a table in a movie that he never forgot it. And I thought to myself, that's a real movie lovers thing. The way that people who love poetry admire a certain phrase or a certain sound and the people that admire painting admire brushstrokes. And so it, it made me start thinking, well, what are some small moments like that that I love in movies, right? I came up with two really quick, and then maybe I'll hear one of yours. One is after the commotion in Rick's bar, in Rick's Cafe American, there's a part where Humphrey Booker just walks by a table and turns a glass right side up. Then every time, and then he keeps walking, he just fixes the glass. It's on its side. Every time I see that, it knocks the wind out of me. I just, I just love the way he does that. There's another bit notorious where um, Alicia Huberman, played by Ingrid Bergman, is driving. She's driving drunk, and Cary Grant's next to her. And eventually, he says to her, "Come on, come on, move over, move over." She starts arguing with him and slapping him. And just his face as she's slapping him, I think, is so good. And those moment moments are so good because they mean something to me at the time I watched them the first time. And that if you love movies, your head is filled with little moments like that that aren't like the famous ones. Like for example, if I said to you right now, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's a small, tiny detail you love? From the Godfather, give me one. Oh, when I mean when he's the way that he's juggling the oranges when he's playing with his kids in right. the in the backyard before right. he dies. Right. So you didn't say, "I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse." You didn't say the horse's head. You didn't say the murder of the fight. Like you know what I mean? Like it was like that small moment, the way that that Brando's playing with the kid in the, in the, with the oranges, right? That those small moments really affect us as viewers. And if you're tuned into what a movie does, like that's that's one of the reasons we keep going back. So I love that moment because it shows you what Herzog loves about movies and what drew him to Kinski. But I, I think it speaks also to their their interdependence a little further because there's there's a certain point in the life of the artist when you see something as a young person that you love. And you ask yourself a question that the rest of the audience doesn't ask them, which is, how is that so beautiful? You ask yourself, how is that done? How is that done? How, how is, and, and you, so I think that there are small kind of pinpoint moments 
where the beauty of whatever you're doing, like for Herzog, it must have been film. The beauty of the film envelops him, but you have a thought to yourself, which is why is it so difficult to look like you just woke up without looking like an actor who just woke up? Why is that so hard? And you think what 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 is that mercurial thing about actors that that they can do? And so I think that part of what Herzog is signing in that moment is that part of my love of film in general and the thing that would shape my life is this guy right and part of the person who made him famous instead of the the implication is that kinski would have been seen as a raving lunatic the rest of his career and nobody would know who he is the only reason you know who this guy is is because he got involved with me but let me tell you something one of the reasons i became me was because i saw that because of him right awesome awesome so what's your moment uh there's a beautiful moment when they're out in the jungle and Werner herzog has staged these shots then and now to show you how comfortable he feels in the jungle. He's in the jungle in a polo, like tucked into his jeans and his pants are, are all dirty, but he wants nobody else around him in those shots. Now there must be a crew. Somebody's carrying the camera, right? So he, he wants to be filmed all the time. Um, he's beneath a waterfall. He's sitting on a log. And what he's telling you is I can be Werner Herzog equally well, in a, a panel discussion or in an apartment in Berlin or out here in Brazil. And I can do it anywhere because I am Werner Herzog and I'm at one with at one with nature. But he teases Klaus Kinski for wanting to be seen the same way because he said that we could be on a shoot for three months. He would never leave, leave camp except to venture out 100 meters into the forest, you know, and lay on a log because he always talked about the media as swine and he didn't want to get dragged down to the level of, of the swine, but he was totally fine to be, to be seen like the swine, you know, laying out on the log and talking about the beauty of mother nature. That's in air quotes. <laughs> well, the, you know, I love what that scene that Herzog says about nature, which is actually from the movie river of dreams about the making of Fitzcarraldo. There's a part where he talks about, you know, he says, um, I can't do the voice. You know, he says like, you know, I see nothing erotic about nature. It's all fornication and it's all misery. And, and yet I love it. So I think that's, what's fascinating about his, his relationship with Kinski too, is that it's rough and it's hard and there's a lot of misery and a lot of pain in it. And yet I love it. So welcome back. In part three, we talk about the ending or the title. The title is, is self-explanatory. The ending, we get his death, which we can talk about, Herzog's reasons for why he thinks Kinski died, metaphorically, and also the bit with the butterfly. So Mike, where do you want to start? Uh, I guess we have to start with the butterfly, which is not where you expect this movie to end uh, with, with him using footage from one of the the movies i think it was Fitz, Fitzcarraldo. Uh -huh. it must have been that they were filming and a butterfly lands on kinski and with so much gentility he made the butterfly feel comfortable why didn't i know that his soul was a butterfly that wanted to ascend to heaven and you just like it's just such a weird place for the documentary to land because he he wants you to know what an insane guy he he shot somebody um they they say that he he shot he three shot, times through the wall yeah in Fitzcarraldo, he shot through the wall. He shot the tip of the finger, the um, one of the extras finger off. And one of the other extras who was there at the time said there was so much blood. We thought that he had hit the man in the body. Like we, we thought that he had killed somebody. And they offered to kill him. Remember the extras offered Herzog, shall we kill him for you? And I, and they were, and they were serious. And so for him to be as a beautiful 
butterfly. I mean, what what is it that's the butterfly? Is it that a talent is ephemeral? Is it that uh, the the times looking like looking back on making those movies now from the hindsight of success that it's amazing that they were made at all? Or does he really feel that way about Kinski? I have a lot of trouble teasing those apart me, as a viewer. Me too, because I don't love The Butterfly. I love this movie. I'll definitely watch it again. But I don't love The Butterfly bit. It's a little too, you know, to use a Mike phrase in past episodes, it's a little too on the nose. It's a little too like, this guy's ranting. He's an a-hole the entire movie. And I love when the production manager, Fritz Corraldo, was like, well, then don't eat it. Then don't eat it if you like the food. Then don't eat it. He stands still. Kinski's raving around, which is also, by the way, another performance. He's always on. He's always tonight. The role of Klaus Kinski will be played by Klaus Kinski. Like he's always on, right? But at the end with the butterfly, you know, I, I, I guess it was like, oh, but he also has a soft spot. Like I don't know. I, I didn't really hear to hear that. Like Tony Montoya really also loves his sister. Like I, I didn't care about any of that. But there is something at the end about us wanting to like the people whose art we admire. And I think that's a very human thing. Like we want to believe that the people who create beautiful things are, are likable. And sometimes they're not. Like sometimes you can't have it both ways, right? We, we, you want to imagine that if you ever got to talk to Jimmy Stewart, he would act just like who? Uh, all of his characters, yeah, every Jimmy single Stewart. one of them. He would act like Jimmy Stewart, right? Um, but and we and now we know a lot about Jimmy Stewart. We've seen a lot of stuff, but there's people that you don't know anything about. But you want to imagine that there's that there's good in the people whose work we admire. And I don't. Th I think maybe the butterfly is a gesture towards that. But I think it's a human reaction. But you certainly don't get it from this movie. Did you not take it as a joke? I I, I don't know. It it felt to me as though if the two of them were sitting around one night drinking, maybe they laugh at it. That 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 Kinski was like, if you ever make a movie about me, this is how it should end. Because it it seems to me, I don't know. It feels like an in joke. It certainly doesn't belong. And but it could. I'm open to the idea that it not doesn't belong in a creative way. Yes, I'm, that's I'm, what I'm I mean. Open, yeah. I'm open to the idea that there's something more that I don't get right now. Because we that... can't get, we can't get to the, we, you cannot get to, 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 you know, Kinski sub one. You cannot get to the bottom of Kinski or I think to anybody. I mean, that's the Citizen Kane thing, right? You can't get to the bottom of a person. I mean, he does throw in one other false trail, which is that he does the interview with the, with the actress who won the award for right. playing the wife in Wojcik. And she says, no, he was a darling. He was great. He he altered physical reality with his voice. You know that that there was a presence that surrounded him, um, and that he was never untoward. And she has no reason to say that. It's not like he's. It's not like he is going to sue her for slander or anyone else because he's dead. But I guess that raises the question: Is she just speaking well of the dead? Yes. I I, I think she was being great, or she was like, "This is my experience." I don't know, but I I think that. You remember the butterfly thing is contrasted with him from the clip in the movie of him um, pulling the boat on the ocean and just ranting on the ocean again. And Herzog says, remember his cause of death? He says he had burned himself out. He he was like a comet. And yeah, you get it. And that's why he shows the death scene from Nosferatu, right? Is that he he just the guy he just burned himself out. He couldn't he could no longer live by by taking the life force out of other people. It was too much and nothing could sustain him. So like Neil Young, right? It's better to burn out than fade away. He definitely burns out. 
But but I think at the end, I don't know if it's ultimately an in joke, and maybe we'd have to know more. You'd have to know more about Klaus Kinski than we do to decide how much of an in joke that was. But I think sometimes I think what this movie reminded me of is that sometimes there's people whose art you admire without admiring the person, and sometimes we want to have it both ways. You can like the Doors and recognize who Jim Morrison was. They weren't that dissimilar. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. You could follow us on X at 15 Film. You could also follow us where, Mike? Where all the other inanities of society are uttered in the sphere of our social indwellings with one another as a citizens. We'll see you next time.